is Bloomberg Surveillance. Is there a little sign of concern in the banking system in the Eurozone? Yes, but it's still very, very contained. The U.S. pursued a very aggressive policy earlier on, and that is having payoff several years later. You have a fundamental problem of architecture, and that's why any small issue is amplified immediately in the marketplace. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKeon, Tom Keen, Bloomberg Surveillance. We welcome all of you worldwide. Bloomberg Radio Plus and out on Bloomberg.com, Sirius and XM Channel 119, across this nation, across Canada as well, Bloomberg 1200 Boston, Bloomberg 1130 in a, a shocking temperature change in New York, like from 5 degrees or whatever up to 50 degrees today, all of that in 24 hours. That's amazing, maybe 30 hours as well. Where else? Bloomberg 960, the Bay Area, San Francisco, and 99.1 FM in Washington. Good morning. And in Baltimore, talked to some Baltimore people yesterday who Listen to us on 99.1 FM. We welcome Baltimore in Washington uh, to Bloomberg Surveillance. Uh, this morning, Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Cone Resnick. Accounting tax advisory regulatory changes can impact your business. See how the experts at Cone Resnick can help you navigate these complexities. Find out more at ConeResnick.com. C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K. ConeResnick.com. Mike, we love We love upstream, upstream, OPEC, non-OPEC, bigger nation stuff. And what we forget about is the industry of what do you do with the stuff is upstream, midstream, downstream. We need to talk to somebody who can parse upstream, midstream, downstream like refines. John Tucker, what are you paying a gallon? Are you under a dollar? Uh, 155-ish. Wow. John Tucker's in charge of our gallon of gas here, as Mr. McKee and I Move forward. Move forward. We yes. Don't need well, cars. I suppose we have to start, though, upstream, because the news of the day is this yeah. agreement, whatever it may be, between the Saudis, mm-hmm. the Russians, and a couple other uh, OPEC countries to freeze production. Um, the general reaction, uh, Michael Cohen, seems to be that uh, there is much less here than meets the headline, but it does seem to have stabilized oil prices for the morning. As a trader, what would you make of it? Right. So, um, well, just first off, I'm, I head up our energy commodities research, so I'm not, I'm not on the trading desk. But what I can right. say, but but I, I'm, I, I'm asking you to no, put just, yourselves in their minds. Yeah, we just sure. want to know what you're doing with your private account this morning. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let me let me tell you all about that. Um, so, I think the first thing to understand is that it's really just officializing what's already being expected in the market. Um, and so, you know, when you look at the countries that are um, taking part here, you have Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela. Uh, in Russia. And for Qatar's part, they have a mature field that's in decline. Their production overall is in decline, so it's not really a change in, in the status quo. Russia had been expected to grow its production slightly this year. Um, some of it is crude, some of it is condensate, so a freeze in their output um, doesn't really materialize materially change the expectation for Russia for the year. Saudi Arabia, of course, uh, the big wild card, has some spare production but is really producing at its limit. Um, And so, you know, in the past, I think the interesting thing for Saudi Arabia um, has been that when it comes to cutting production, what they've always wanted to see is others cut first. They've always taken an approach 
of in, in sort of a tit for tat fashion. So they they will want to see other producers cut, and that's the problem with this agreement is that the producers that really need to be cutting or restraining or freezing their output are Iran and Iraq. And Iraq, of course, has been uh, you know part war for a number of years, and and of course has only just gotten its production back up. And and Iran, as you know, under sanctions for a number of years, and just recently had this agreement. So for Iran. They're also not in, in the mood to cut production, especially at these very low price levels. So it's important in that it sets a precedent. And obviously, as Saudi Arabia is part of it, it in, enhances the credibility of it. But we still have yet to see whether it will result in anything else from other OPEC members. So at this point, do we think we might have a floor or can we break down farther? I still think that, you know, should we see another black swan event or even, you know, additional production than what the market expects from Iran or Iraq, that that could, you know, make the market even more overweight than it already is. Black swan events, you know, of course, the macroeconomic uh, possibilities in terms of a U.S. recession or a global recession or a, a yuan devaluation, all of those um, are going to result in uh, in further macroeconomic pressures that you know could have an effect on the US dollar and therefore would have an effect on on oil. What do you see as you link and, and you've done a lot of work on refinery recently how do you link the headline price of oil to the dynamics you see within downstream re- re- refinery? Well, I think what's important to understand for the downstream sector is, you know, obviously what are the refining margins and the crack spreads between the price of the refined product and the uh, acquisition cost or the cost of acquiring uh, the crude oil. And so what we've seen over the last year as the consumer has responded to strong demand, or sorry, the consumer has responded to the lower price level in certain countries, you've seen very strong demand for refined products. You've also seen over the last year several different unplanned outages, especially in the West Coast of the United States, and that's essentially led to higher uh, refined product prices, and at the same time as crude prices were declining, it's led to a widening of the margins and an enhanced profitability for the refining right. sector. Is that temporary? I mean, I know you're not doing buy, hold, sell on downstream, but without question, the shock of 2015, predicted by many, uh, is, you know, oil stocks hammered except refinery. Does Barclays right. think that that pauses here or ends? Right. I think that from from the equity perspective, and and I, I don't want to put words in our sure. our equity analyst's mouth, is that you know they do still see a positive story, both the, our European uh, colleagues and our U.S. colleagues, because of the consumer response. They do see this as not just a one-off, but a continuing story of strong end-user demand for gasoline. And as the the most interesting thing about this is that as the consumer has responded with the extra income in mind, they've also been spending more money on premium gasoline. So not only are car sales now in the in the vein of cars that will be that, that are requiring or prefer to use premium gasoline, but also people with that extra money are spending more money on, spending that extra money on octane, rich, higher grade gasoline. And so as a result, uh, there are still, um, there's still constraints in the downstream that will essentially lead to stronger margins. 
I, however, am a little bit more skeptical of that story because, broadly speaking, gasoline is not going to be sufficient enough to support the whole refining complex. We see in the in the Middle East and also in China new refineries that are now exporting more and more refined product elsewhere, so that reduces the refining margin in Europe and also in the United States. And as we now have let the crude export ban uh, be removed, um, there's also, you know, what we've seen is the spread between WTI and Brent has also collapsed. And so, you know, as inventories continue to mount higher, that has meant that there are uh, we are already seeing economic run cuts in the middle of the in the middle of uh, of the U.S. and that's essentially leading to uh, less refined mm-hmm. product supply and less crude demand, which is bearish for mm-hmm. for prices. Well, I'm looking at a uh, chart of crack spreads, uh, the three two one front month uh, spread here, and what I'm noticing is that the um, Annual highs are lower, I mean, lower highs throughout right. the last five years. And the current seasonal downtrend has, seems to be lasting longer than it has in previous years. Right. So a part of that is also weather-related. Uh, so, you know, distillate or, or middle distillate and, and other um, fuel oil used for, for power and for uh, heating, you know, for heating oil in the Northeast, all of that has seen, you know, in the course of November and December, a much, much warmer seasonal um, trend than we've seen in the last couple of years. And so that's uh, also led to reduction in demand for those refined products. Michael Cohn, thank you so much. Uh, with Barclays as well. We'll continue this discussion on oil. And it's, uh, Mike, to me today is a jumble. I mean, look at West Texas now down two cents. I mean, we're just, folks, not holding the bid at the moment. Yeah, we've got an advantage of a fancy Bloomberg screen in front of us looking at equities, bonds, currencies, commodities. And like Jobs Day, it's incredibly quiet waiting for the information. Today's a jumble. And I mean that is it's, it's news that it's indeterminate either way. Dollar yen, 113.72 is stronger yen by 0.88 points. And again, West Texas Intermediate and Brent just give it up here uh, in recent minutes. And it's a good time to speak with Michael Cohen of Barclays as well. Futures up 25 now, up 20. Uh, Dow futures up 202 are now up 169. So a little bit of an ebb and flow here. On an odd Tuesday in February, uh, a gold again down $26, gold 12.14 the ounce. Let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Government offices will open late because of hazardous ice glazing over the Washington region. The U.S. Office of Personnel Management modified the workday for the 300,000 federal employees. Employees have the option of unscheduled leave or telework. Freezing rain throughout the region overnight is being blamed for at least three traffic deaths in Virginia. A Turkish official says his country believes ground operations are necessary in Syria to oppose the Islamic State group. Meanwhile, a spokesman for Russian President Vladimir Putin disagreed with claims that Russian warplanes struck a hospital in northern Syria. The World Health Organization says it might be necessary to use controversial methods like genetically modified mosquitoes to fight and eliminate the Zika virus. The virus that has been spreading across Latin America has been linked to a spike in babies born with birth defects. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. 
I'm Michael Barr. Mike, what's up? Mike, thanks so much. I uh, greatly appreciate that. Again, West Texas down five cents, 29, 39 ounce. We speak on oil next. Stay with us. The news update brought to you by Mazda White Plains. Visit MazdaWhitePlains.com. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are rising along with oil. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. Here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. That's right. U.S. futures are trading higher. Dow futures currently higher by 180 180 points. S&P futures gain 22 and Nasdaq futures rise by 61. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.78%. And WCHEC true futures are now little changed. Main European markets are trading mixed this morning. Germany is down 0.7%. On the U.S. economic front at 8.30, Empire Manufacturing. And a 10 o'clock housing market index estimate 60. In deal news, ADT agrees to be acquired for $42 a share. And finally, some of your key Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. Dish Network raised to equal weight at Barclays. Qualcomm raised to outperform at Bernstein. Community Health Systems cut to hold at Jefferies. At J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley both raised to overweight. Micron Technology raised to buy versus neutral at Mizuho. And finally, at Stern AG, Borg Warner cut to neutral. And Procter & Gamble raised to buy. Live from the first of breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg, type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K-Go. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thanks so much. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Invesco. Investing isn't about meeting benchmarks. It's about achieving goals. Find out how Invesco's high-conviction approach can help. Visit Invesco.com slash high-conviction. Invesco, I-N-V-E-S-C-O, Invesco.com slash high-conviction. We need to be smarter on oil. We've been doing that with Michael Cohen at Barclays, head of their energy and commodities uh, research. Michael, are we clearing markets? I mean, it's a great phrase, and clowns like me like to toss it out. You've got to live with the observation of supply and demand. Are we clearing oil markets? Um, yeah, Tom. I mean, you know, everyday oil trades hands, and uh, you know, the, the 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 issue is, you know, what is driving oil on any given day is is a function of a whole bunch of different things. And, yeah. You know, the issue you know, right now is that the fundamental data is lagging the reality, and the only thing that we have to show us what the reality is is things like the grades in different basins around the country that can show production declining in advance of. EIA data that may take two months to put together. You know, the the amazing thing now in oil markets is that, um, you know, now compared to four or five years ago, we have all of these things like Clipper data and Genscape and and even Bloomberg that are that are providing all of this new high frequency oil data um, to mm-hmm. to the market participants, and that has uh, essentially made the market um, while while other things are, are becoming less liquid and fewer participants in the market, the, par- the participants that do remain have more tools at their disposal to sift through to figure out what is actually uh, the fundamental backdrop. Uh, are there more retail investors than in these days using ETFs? Yeah, we do see that, um, it, and you can track it. Um, 
And I think that it, it essentially has played a role also in exacerbating some of the moves that we see driven by fundamental drivers over the last year and a half. In what way? Well, I mean, for example, on a day where you see, you know, prices uh, start to move slightly, sometimes there's nothing else that really drives, um, nothing other fundamental that, nothing else fundamental that necessarily drives that uh, move the rest of the day. In other words, they're not incremental, there's not incremental news. And so what you see sometimes is that, uh, you know, ETF investors are either liquidating yeah. or adding to their, to their books. Are we clearing other markets? I mean, if we're clearing oil and we're working our way through it, it's not the same in industrial metals, is it? I mean, it's a whole different dynamic, isn't it? Right. I mean, when we talk about clearing, you know, the, the issue of, of oversupply, uh, right now we stand at about 1.2, 1.3 million barrels a day of discrepancy between global supply and global demand. And so as prices have fallen, um, you know, we've stimulated demand. We've started to see a couple North Sea fields um, actually get shut in. We're going to see extended maintenance in some of the Canadian oil sands. We're seeing a reduction in drilling activity. We're seeing billions of dollars of investment that is being deferred in that yeah. should have been on by the 2017-18 time frame. Because of time, can you take that over to copper or iron ore for that matter? Well, I think those those metals are obviously there's a there's a different story there, and there the cash costs are are not being covered, um, and so what you've seen is some of the big producers actually have started to uh, cut back okay. some of their supply. But the the difference is that in is that the the makeup in oil is much more heterogeneous. You've got National oil companies, you've got uh, small producers in the United States, stripper well operators, you've got major oil independents and international oil companies. So, you know, when you see things like this today for for Russia, Qatar, and Venezuela, we're talking about essentially a, a PDVSA, a, uh, you know, Qatari company, and you know, 90 to 100 different Russian companies that are essentially agreeing to do something, and the, the track record is just not good. But could this be the predicate to some sort of an actual agreement, or do we even need a monitored agreement if the world thinks there is an agreement? Right. I think that it definitely does set the precedent, and I think what we've seen in the past in 98-99 is that this kind of thing um, was the, the impetus for further agreements across the board. We think that in, in, at least in our view, in this time period right now, given the oversupply that we have and given the intractable issues between uh, Russian and, and Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that it's going to be, and also between mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia and Iran, that it's going to be much more difficult to get to that next step. Right. And, and I, I should mention also just briefly that in 98, 99 and in the 80s, when we did see these kind of cuts, they took a year and a half or so to really get together. So we're very much at the beginning stages still. Okay. This has been a terrific brief. Michael Cohen, thank you so much. Barclays, head of energy commodities research. Mike, this is just what I needed after a three-day weekend. Let me, re, let me, uh, re, I'm going to put this out on Bloomberg Radio Plus, uh, right now. This chart of West Texas Intermediate intraday, is 27 on the 11th, 27.50, 28, even up to 29 on the 12th, then the weekend. Yesterday, 
29 to 30, and then up to 31 today. And we've given all of that uh, uh, that Tuesday gain back. We're a long way from the low scene on February 11th, one day before Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Stay with us. Coming up, the With All Due Respect highlight brought to you by Land Rover. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverTriState.com for special offers during the only adventure sales event, Land Rover, above and beyond. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Morning, it's 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene, Economic Indicators, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Vinny Del Judice, the Empire Manufacturing numbers are out. They're better in their unusual way. Well, they're not as much of a contraction, Michael. The Empire State Manufacturing Index coming in at negative 16.6. It had been negative 19.37 a prior month, February versus January. Negative, nonetheless, contractionist index last positive in July. It covers the New York region manufacturing from the New York Fed. Uh, in the days ahead, the spotlight, though, turns to inflation with the Labor Department issuing a pair of reports, the PPI producer price index and CPI consumer price index for January, low prices for petroleum, other commodities, keeping a tight lid on inflation. Last week, the government's import price index dropped in January for the seventh month in a row. Also on the calendar this week, gentlemen, housing starts industrial production. At the Bloomberg First Word Desk, I'm Vinny Del Judice. Let's go back to New York. Vinny Del Judice, thank you. Uh, we should point out, Tom, um, there are uh, there is a speech due this morning from the Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker. It's been delayed by the weather. Not going to happen yeah. now until nine fifty this morning. Yeah, we should. So. New York's actually pretty good, but we might point out that the weather is uh, sporting throughout much of the Northeast uh, this morning. Uh, this is an important time to spend a good amount of time with Conrad de Quadros out of University of Western Ontario, working with John Riding at RDQ Economics. He is truly expert. It's slicing the data and folding it into a cogent story. Conrad, let me start with the American consumer. I can't get a straight answer. Is there a mystery to what the American consumer is doing? Thanks for having me on, Tom. I'm not sure that there's a mystery in that uh, there's some confusion about uh, an apparent lack of a stronger consumer given the positives that we have, including the labor market, um, the reduction in expenses related to energy costs that consumers have. But I would say that maybe some of that confusion has been cleared up by the most recent data. Of course, on Friday we had a quite encouraging retail sales report that puts the consumer on a strong track at the start of the year. But I think the story here is we've seen the immediate negative impact on the economy from lower oil prices and that uh, oil producers have to react immediately to lower oil prices by reducing employment levels, by cutting back on capital spending. Consumers have the luxury of waiting, and I think that that's what they're doing. Uh, we're not seeing a weak consumer. Uh, the first quarter looks like it could give us a gain in real PCE close to 3%, but 
we're not necessarily seeing consumers spend that those savings that they're getting from lower energy prices, but the fact is they don't have to. They they can wait to see if these low oil prices will be maintained. Um, and generally speaking, consumers will spend a savings like that over time, and I think that that's what they're doing. So far, and uh, we repeat, we're only just now getting January data, but so far it looks like the slowdown in the fourth quarter is at an end. The Atlanta Fed's GDP Now tracker at 2.7% after retail sales on Friday, 2.7% for the first quarter, a, you know, a hundred, well, I don't know how many percent off the top of my head because it's Tuesday and I'm not thinking straight, uh, but a major change from what we saw in the fourth quarter, which is running about a tenth of a percent. Well, I think on the Atlanta Fed measure, it's just reflecting the, the flow of data that have been have been coming in quite encouragingly despite concerns related to the economy that are more being driven by market volatility. The, the actual activity data, whether it's the labor market data uh, with the jobs reports, um, obviously we had a slower pace of job gains in the most recent report, but the trend has been quite solid. Uh, hours worked are on a rising trend. The retail sales report was quite solid. Higher frequency data like jobless claims are, are not suggesting any pickup in the pace of layoffs. So reflecting that, we've had this pickup in Atlanta Fed uh, GDP now. But I would also say, looking back at the fourth quarter, we uh, clearly we had a very slow rate of growth as reported by the GDP report. But the, the message wasn't consistent on the economy if we compare the labor market to the GDP data. The labor market was still rising quite strongly. So we do have this mixed message for the fourth quarter. I'm not sure it was as weak as the seven-tenths increase in yeah. GDP suggests, but it probably wasn't as strong as the as the very strong increase in employment that we saw. That was beautifully said. Mike, what I, Mike where is the estimate for first quarter that you see within all the literature uh, you look at? I've never seen, Mike, as great a divide between considered economists and the public. The public's like, this is all baloney. It's slower than I'll get out. And yet people like Conrad are saying, eh, maybe not. No, I'm not sure What's the public – I, 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 don't, I don't think the public sees it that way, Conrad, um, because they're spending money. They're not They're not uh, pulling back as you would expect during uh, the run-up to a recession when, when people sense things are going to be bad. Well, if, if you look at the, the consumer sentiment numbers, whether it's the – the Michigan measure that was released on Friday or Bloomberg's weekly measures, um, and particularly Bloomberg's weekly measures, are, are really showing a consumer uh, with comfort levels that are quite high. Um, and, I, and I think that it makes sense. I don't think that consumer sentiment necessarily drives consumer activity and spending decisions, but they reflect the same things. Uh, what will drive consumer spending will be, uh, most importantly, trends in income uh, and conditions in the labor market. And those will also have their influence on consumer comfort. And so that's why the Bloomberg measure uh, is showing relatively elevated levels on comfort. The buying climate has been on the rise. And so the the conditions that consumers are mm-hmm. seeing away from the markets in terms of the labor market situation and income trends uh, are generally right. quite positive. Let's come back. Conrad DeCrotus with us with RDQ Economics on the American Consumer. Mike, I'm going to do this because it's Tuesday, and everybody's got both hands on the steering wheel anyways because of ice and snow and all that. We should talk business inventories, which you can only do with both hands on the steering wheel. It's like belt and suspenders economics, but you got to have both hands on the steering wheel. We will do that. Yeah, you asked me, and I, I looked. Future's up 21. 
Time to check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. President Obama will wrap up a two-day summit in California with leaders of the Southeast Asian nations. Today, the president and Asian leaders will discuss regional security issues, including counterterrorism and China's territorial claims of disputed waters of the South China Sea. Remember when Donald Trump and Ted Cruz were sort of nice to each other? Those days are over. I think he's a very unstable person. I really believe that. I think he's a very unstable person. Trump speaking to ABC News called Trump a liar for some of the content in an ad against him and has threatened to sue Cruz unless he apologizes. Meanwhile, Cruz at an event in Camden, South Carolina, talked about Trump. It is a very odd reaction when somebody points to their record, (coughs) points to the words that came out of their own mouth, for them simply to respond by yelling and screaming, liar, liar, liar. Prosecutors believe last week's train crash in Germany was caused by human error by the train dispatcher. Two trains collided head-on about 40 miles southeast of Munich, killing 11 people and injuring scores of others. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike Tom. Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Ray Katina Auto Group Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stashower. John? Mike, where is the Nets will have a new general manager sometime this week, and there are three finalists. Former Phoenix and Toronto GM Brian Colangelo, San Antonio assistant GM Sean Marks, and Denver assistant GM Arturis Karnusovas, who has the advantage of being a native of Russia, like the guy doing the hiring, the team owner, Mikhail Prokhorov. Islanders beat Detroit 4-1. That's four straight home wins by a combined 22-7. Monmouth and Iona, top two teams in the MAC. They had a contentious first meeting. A fight broke out after it was over. They'll play Friday. Both won last night. The Hawks 79-70 over Manhattan. The Gales beat Quinnipiac 78-59. LIU beat St. Francis 82 67. Maybe everyone was wrong about Matt Harvey. Last year was all about an innings limit, and yet he demanded to pitch the extra inning in the last game of the season. Feeling has also always been that Harvey is out of New York when he can be a free agent after 2018, but as he arrived for spring training, he said he won't rule out a long-term extension. Met pitchers and catchers have their first workout tomorrow. For the Yankees, it's Thursday, and that includes Masahiro Tanaka, who just did his first throwing off a mound since elbow surgery last fall and said there was no with the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashauer. Hey John, thanks so much. Greatly appreciate that. Uh, futures are up 25.26. S&P futures up 20, uh, 19.75 right now. Dow futures have pulled back 60-ish points. Uh, is Well, the 10-year yield, Michael McKee, 1.76%. Well, it'll be interesting to see if, we're, if we decouple uh, oil from equities. We've got uh, a, a sort of a one-to-one relationship yeah. over the last couple of weeks. Doesn't seem to be holding this morning. Yeah, the oil uh, we'll have to watch closely. Brent down 17 cents. The backdrop for this, Mike, help me with this. Russia and Saudi Arabia got together in Qatar, and they put out a very cryptic statement saying they're not going to cut, but they, the January levels of production are adequate. And, Did uh, I say that right? In in January, Saudi production levels were a little bit lower than their peak. Russia's mm. pumping at the highest levels ever. Yeah. And so, so we got oil with red on the screen. Don't want to overplay that, but nevertheless, oil's pulled back. Uh, gold down $24. Stay with us worldwide. Bloomberg Surveillance. The Sports Report was brought to you by Ray Katina Auto Group. Everyone deserves to drive a Mercedes-Benz from Ray Katina. Make it happen at Ray Katina Motor Car in Edison. Ray Katina of Union and the new Ray Katina of Freehold. Or go to RayKatina.com. 
global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. U.S. stock index futures are higher as U.S. markets reopened after the President's Day holiday, lifted by the biggest rally in Chinese shares in three months. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 18 points. Dow E-mini futures up 148. And NASDAQ E-mini futures up 54. DAX in Germany is down 9 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down 3.30 seconds. The yield 1.76 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.69 percent. NYMEX crude oil turned lower down 4 tenths percent or 11 cents at 29.33 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 2 percent or $24.20 to 12.15.20. An ounce. The euro is at $1.1172, the yen 113.82. ADT agreeing to be acquired for about $6.9 billion by the private equity firm Apollo Global Management. ADT, ADT shares up more than 52% this morning. And shares of community health systems down about 22% after the U.S.'s second largest chain of for-profit hospitals reported an unexpected fourth quarter loss. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, Karen, uh, thanks so much. Watching oil very carefully will keep you up to breath, up to date on that. Uh, right now, it is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Christopher Flavel, a columnist for Bloomberg View. President Barack Obama's proposal this month for a $10 per barrel tax on oil, which has been overwhelmingly rejected by Republicans, could make it easier for the next president to sell a carbon tax by showing how not to do it. Obama made three mistakes. First, he targeted one single industry and one that many Americans believe he doesn't like. That plays into the understandable fear that governments will use climate policy to reward friends and hurt adversaries. Second, Obama said he would use the money gained from the tax to fund things that mostly benefit cities. That amounts to a wealth transfer from rural areas to urban ones and from red states to blue. Republicans have every right to oppose that. Third, research shows Republicans are more likely to support a carbon tax if the government returns the money. In a 2014 survey, researchers found that just 15% of Republicans would back a carbon tax in the abstract. But if the revenue went back to the public via rebate checks, support tripled to 43%. Obviously, any carbon tax would be enormously difficult to sell. But if officials treat this episode as reason not to try, they're drawing in the wrong lesson. I'm Christopher Flavel. For more view, please go to BloombergView.com or ViewGo on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays on Bloomberg Radio. Michael? Thank you, Tom. Uh, This hour of Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhiteplains.com. Conrad DeQuadros is with RDQ Economics, and we're talking about the outlook for the first quarter, which in many ways, Conrad, depends on the fourth quarter. And the numbers we finally get, of course, when you put together the GDP reports we've gotten so far, the government is only estimating what happens with trade and inventories. We got some inventory numbers on uh, Friday that don't give you a lot of hope for the fourth quarter, up to business inventory is just a, a tenth of a percent, but that suggests better news ahead for this quarter. I think you're right there. We, we, with the inventory numbers that we had out on Friday, there is the suggestion that we'll get a downward revision to fourth quarter GDP of, of maybe as much as half a percentage point. So the, the fourth quarter uh, might look like real GDP growth only up about a quarter of a percentage point. 
Now, it looks when we look ahead to the first quarter, though, our expectation is that we're, we're probably not going to get a significant add to growth in the first quarter from inventories. You know, generally speaking, in an environment of low inflation, low interest rates, that's not one where uh, companies seek to, to build up inventory. So our, our feeling is that inventory levels will uh, remain quite low, um, but it does look like that drag on growth from inventories in the fourth quarter uh, is unlikely to be repeated in the first quarter. So we're probably looking at a first quarter GDP growth rate somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a quarter percentage point. And of course, there are higher estimates out there from groups like the Atlanta Fed, which are tracking a number closer to two and three quarter percent. That number, as you mentioned, uh, sort of aggregates the data up to this point. But I do note, and I, I've never been a fan of saying, hey, that's what growth is going to be because it does change. But throughout the fourth quarter, everybody was citing that in their pessimistic outlooks going forward. Well, Atlanta is only showing X. Yes, and, and of course, the estimates for for GDP growth are uh, are very um, volatile. And, and the retail sales report, for example, points to a stronger consumer than we were expecting for the first quarter. But we hesitate about making that change official because – the January numbers could get revised. We don't know to what extent spending in one month is borrowing from the from the upcoming month. Um, so we don't like to, to change our, our outlook too much. But I would say that the the general feel of the data has been somewhat stronger. Whether it's the reports that we've already seen, or or I even think the reports that we're going to get out this week, for example, the industrial production mm-hmm. data. Um, given the fact that hours worked rose by five-tenths of a percent, and that's for manufacturing right. uh, workers. That points to a, a rebound in industrial production, and uh, you know the, the rep- that might have the same kind of feel as some of the other reports for January suggesting that the economy um, has a little bit more life in it than, than people may have thought, again, based mm-hmm. on uh, I think a lot of times people's views on the economy right now are being driven by the volatility in the markets, and that might yeah. not be giving us the best picture of growth. Can I ask a, I, I don't believe, Mike, I've ever asked this question in umpteen years of Bloomberg on the economy or Bloomberg surveillance. Conrad de Quadros, how do you measure inventories in the service sector? Well, that's one of the, the, the big problems in that the, the inventory numbers as they're measured in GDP are taken from manufacturers, from the wholesale yeah. sector, um, and from the, the retail sector. I mean, there are no it's inventories of, of goods. There's no measurement of, of inventories outside of that. And, and at the inventory picture from these monthly numbers, like the numbers that were released on Friday, and then the numbers that we see in the GDP, they can in the GDP report, they can present somewhat different pictures. So, for an example, if we look at the inventory-to-sales ratio that was released on Friday, it points to a fairly significant pickup in in inventory-to-sales. And our feeling is that part of that is due to oil prices and the difficulty in measuring um, the oil prices on on inventories versus oil prices on what's being shipped out. If you look at inventory-to-sales ratios that are adjusted for those price levels in the GDP report, it doesn't show anywhere near the same sort of picture of rising inventories to, to yeah. shipment. So it is a very – it's a big question mark in the GDP numbers. And, of course, as we make these projections, we're looking at a, at a first-quarter GDP number where we're not even going to know the full quarter worth of, of inventory numbers when we have to make those projections. So uh, it is a, a big swing factor that, that has a, a lot of uncertainty associated with it. Where do we uh... – 
Where do we see the, the year ending up now? Um, Good there's question. Been, there's been a lot Folks, of, it's only February. It's a McKee question. Yeah, but it's probably trenchant view. But these people make <laughs> forecasts. The Fed has to make a decision based on the forecast. So uh, are, are, are we downgrading what's going to happen in 2016 based on what's happened in the financial mm. markets the first six Good weeks point. of the year? Good point. Well, since you started on the Fed, I'll start there. I'm not a believer that the Fed is to be blamed for volatility in markets because they lifted off at the wrong time. So no criticism there. But I will say, related to your question, that I do have some criticism about the Fed's communication in the last few weeks and that the fact that they're unwilling to make an assessment of the risks, I don't think instills a lot of confidence in the public or in markets. So I think that that's problematic, and it's reflective of the fact that there's um, just a lot of questions in people's minds about what the outlook looks like now. If the Fed can't make an assessment of the risks with all of their uh, research staff, that's probably one of the biggest research staff of any institution in the world, um, what, what hope do the rest of us have? But I will say that our, my feeling is that the, the outlook hasn't changed significantly. We are on GDP measures. We are on a slow-growth track. Uh, I think the, that 2016 will probably see real GDP growth. That's a little bit better than the one in three-quarter percent growth rate that we had for 2015. My forecast is for a growth rate of more like two and a quarter percent. I still think that that's well ahead of the current uh, potential growth rate of the economy, and that's going to result in the, yeah. the unemployment rate coming down, and, and that will present a, a challenge for the Fed. We mm. have this continued picture of softer GDP <clears throat> growth, but signs that the labor market is right. tightening, um, and that's something that the Fed will have to, to judge as they make decisions on rates going forward. 30 seconds. Do we get nominal GDP above 4%? Does animal spirit recovery within the nation? I think this year we'll see nominal GDP above four um, because uh, combined with that two and a quarter percent real GDP growth rate, uh, I don't think we'll see the inflation numbers as soft as they were in, in 2016. Um, oil prices obviously remain low, but unless they fall materially further, yeah. uh, we're probably not going to see a big drag on the, the consumer area of prices within the okay. GDP deflator. So I think the deflator might be closer to two and we might have a little bit better than four percent real, four uh, percent right. nominal GDP growth in, in 2016. Great briefing. Conrad DeCuadros is with RDQ Economics. Michael? This news in while we were chatting with Conrad, the Ukrainian president, Petro Poroshenko, yeah. was calling on the prime minister, Arseniy Yatsenyuk, to resign. They want to form a technocratic government, also wants the chief prosecutor, prosecutor general, to quit. So um, upheaval in Ukraine again. I don't know to what extent that will affect the markets, but uh, something to keep an eye on. Yeah, the currency, uh, the currency got stronger off that. We were 27 and change and the currency's coming a little bit. Don't wanna, don't wanna put too much into that, uh, right now. Patrick Harker, the Philadelphia Fed president, mm-hmm. giving a speech at 10 o'clock this morning. Delayed? Uh, in Delaware. Yes, delayed mm-hmm. because of the weather. But, um, NBC Philadelphia notes a Wilmington couple paid, uh, $325,000 for the license plate with the number 14. Low numbers, apparently good in Delaware. Go figure. News you can use. Bloomberg Surveillance.